Hello, everybody. Welcome along to the Event Industry News Podcast. My name is James Dixon, wishing you all a very good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever or whenever you join the podcast from. And on today's podcast, we welcome Charlie McCluskey. Charlie is the head of digital at ICC Belfast, joins us from their offices today. Charlie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, James. James, it's great to join you. Um, we're going to be um, talking with Charlie today about some um, interesting ways that the ICC Belfast have been utilising their, their marketing channels and specifically their digital marketing channels um, to drive revenue and exposure for the venue um, and looking at how two quite distinct sides of their business, the entertainment and, and the conferencing side, um, can learn, I suppose, from each other. Charlie and I were talking off air prior to today's episode and prior to hitting the record button. And um, I think we're going to have some really interesting topics of conversation today. Um, but yeah, Charlie, thanks for joining us. First time guest on the episode. Tell us a little bit before we get into the, uh, to the actual topic of conversation today, what being head of digital uh, a place at ICC Belfast actually means. What does it see you do on a day-to-day basis? Well, uh, ultimately, James, I'm responsible for devising and delivering the digital strategy for the organization. Um, I joined the organization in April 2018, um, and it was the first time we'd ever had a head of digital. We were digitally enabled um, in that we had e-commerce websites for the entertainment side of the business. We had our email marketing and social media platforms, but we never had a strategy to back that up. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the past 18 months, I've been working on devising a strategy and then ultimately rolling it out and now looking at the next 18 months and and developing our roadmap and what that looks like. Um, Digital, it's a very broad term, but I bring it back to one thing and that's improving the customer experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Trying to look at how through your digital channels, you can make it a more seamless experience for customers, whether that's people who are prospective customers or people who have booked business, booked book tickets for an entertainment event sure. and how we can make it, uh, we can fulfill their needs or wants, uh, make it more aspirational. The past 18 months, I've delivered three new websites. We have totally transformed our approach to, to marketing, taking a digital first approach. Um, and that extends out to email marketing or social media, sure. all different touch points of the business. So any one day can, can look very different. Um, during the summer, we've, spent three months and it was complete deep dive into ticketing systems and email marketing or uh, website builds. Mm. Um, and then now the past sort of three months since the launch of our, two, our latest two websites, we've been focusing on ironing out any snags and just really uh, analyzing the data to see how they're performing. And I'm, I'm interested to pick up on, a, on a, a, what I see as a key word that you mentioned uh, when speaking about that. And that was the word seamless. You, talked, you mentioned making it a seamless experience for, for customers. When you, how, how do you see uh, and, and actually um, how, how does the seamless experience manifest itself from a digital point of view? Well, I mean, if I if I can speak specifically about our business and, and an example mm-hmm. of it, uh, whenever I joined, we had one brand, so it was, we were Belfast Waterfront, um, right. and that brand covered conferencing and entertainments. Yeah, the website serviced both needs conference and entertainments. But what would have happened? And we had this is a specific example. We had a conference organizer who came onto our website. The first thing that they seen on the website was. Uh, an advertisement for Dream Boys, which was one of our entertainment shows. Yeah. And they felt that they were on the wrong site. So they went back off, done another Google search, came back on, found the site again. And then they had to sort of scroll around and 
eventually they found the conferencing section. Yeah. But ultimately what they've done is they abandoned the website and rang. You know, they called the sure, business, yeah. clarified, yeah. are they on the right are they in the right place? Um, are they accessing the right information? So that wasn't seamless. And mm. it's very obvious whenever you get that example of why it wouldn't be se- seamless because you know, the message we're advertising a conference venue. Sure. You know, the first message is very much entertainments. So what we have done in the past um, 18 months is look at all of our touch points with customers mm. um, and try to be a lot more targeted in our approach in terms of attracting people to our site. So we talk about high to medium intent um, users mm-hmm. accessing our site. And then on the website, we've looked at the, our, we've looked at our analytics, Google analytics, um, email analytics, social analytics, and try to paint the picture of how our customers interact with us and how we can improve that journey. So a very obvious example on entertainments is we looked at our basket abandonment rate. And what we'd found is we had a 60% basket abandonment. And so that was people who had selected get tickets, arrived on the seat selection page, and then decided against it. Right. Um, So in developing our new website, we've taken out steps of the booking flow. So to reduce the um, potential for people exiting, but we've also tried to, we've improved the seating map. We've improved the information. We front loaded the website with more information. So before somebody makes the decision to get tickets, they have all the information they need. So from prices, from dates, um, from the venue information. And what we've found is um, in a very short space of time, our basket abandonment rate has reduced by about 30%. So right. again, that's a more seamless approach. Yeah. On the conferencing side of the business, we now have a dedicated website that's specifically for conferencing. Um, and we've done competitor, competitor analysis. We look for best practice. And one of the things that came through for us is the easiest websites to navigate were the ones that um, had the simplest structure. structure. Sure. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, we very much prioritize the organized section because we would a fair idea most people would be coming to our site for, to organize an event. Yeah. Um, and then thereafter, we, we focused on our four pillars. So we have venue accessibility, um, venue suitability, and, you know, the, the destination appeal. So Belfast itself, how does it um, meet the needs of conference organizers or delegates? Mm. And, and you, you mentioned, obviously, your job role, just to, to recap, head of digital, and yep. you joined April 2018, did you say? Yes, I did. And, and, and um, I, I think we're in, a, we're in a, a world now, undoubtedly, where as consumers, we are in a sort of privileged position in a way that, um, you know, we, we have access to a lot of digital information, websites, social media platforms, and as consumers, we also shape how businesses like yours are actually acting now, but by doing what you're doing, because we demand things to be easy, don't we? As a consumer, I know that if I go on a website and I can't find what I'm looking for in, you know, two clicks or a couple of, you know, a couple of scrolls through a page, then likelihood is I'm going to abandon it and go to a different website, you know, whether that be if I'm shopping or looking for some information on something, um, you know, consumers do drive now how people are shaping websites, which perhaps even, even 10 years ago wasn't quite like that. You know, the websites were dictating to the people using them how they wanted to use it. And if you don't react to how consumers interact with digital content now and make it easy for them, like you pointed out, the simple fact is they will get 
you know, they'll go somewhere else or you'll have this abandonment statistic that you get with people not completing purchases. So you have to analyze what consumers are doing, don't you? And, and adjust your own offering to suit that. Absolutely. And there's, there, there's a couple of things in that, James. So, um, and this, there's, we've, we've actually quite a good example of how we've responded to the consumer demand um, on the entertainment side. And from the lesson we learned from that, applied it to the conference site. So whenever we, were, <clears throat> whenever we were launching our new entertainment website, we'd done a deep dive into our analytics. Um, and that gave us things like the basket abandonment. It gave information about how people were finding our site, which would influence um, decisions we would take on search engine optimization and our always-on advertising campaign. Yeah. But one of the things that was really beneficial to us is we reached out to our customers and we, um, we carried out a customer survey. So people who bought tickets online, um, we had 600 responses. And the data and the value we got from those responses, in my mind, was the real change in how we developed our website. So as an example, one of the things that came back from customers customers were our sites were confusing so on the entertainment side of the business we had we have two websites we have the ulster hall and we've the waterfront hall because we have two venues okay but both of those sites were dual branded so if you had landed on the waterfront website you would have seen the waterfront logo and the ulster hall logo right and then on our event listing we didn't make it clear where the what event was taking place in what venue understood right Add into that the fact that we also had conferencing information on the um, entertainment website. It was a very clouded customer experience. So we, we stripped back, we dropped the dual branding um, because if you go to the Ulster Hall, you expect to see the Ulster Hall logo. You don't expect to see the waterfront logo. Yeah. And from, you, you know, we, we've dialed up saying what venue the, the event's taking place because we, we just assumed people would know this, but it's that it's been very obvious in our approach. But one of the things we introduced was site search because again, consumer behavior now is we rely on search because yeah. of Google, because of Bing, because of the big search engines. It's driven uh, a consumer behavior towards search. So despite the fact that people can navigate to certain sections of a website or can navigate to, um, you know, an app and access certain information. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We rely on search. So even if it is like Amazon, rather than typing out amazon.com, we will typically search and then click on a, a search result. Yes. So it's a, that's a user behavior before somebody gets to a website. But we then said, well, we'll transfer that into our website as well. So essentially what we done is we changed on our old entertainment websites. We didn't display our uh, search bar. It was hidden behind an icon. So you would click on the icon, the search bar would expand. So what we found from our data is 2% of people who used search went on to make a purchase. Right. Um, but very, there was a very small number of people using search. Um, now 20% of people who use search on our new website or 20 people, 20 people, 20 percent of people who use search make a purchase on our new website. Okay. And that's because we've expanded the search bar, so it is always on display. It's uh, front and center of every page mm -hmm. because that's yeah. the user behavior. We front loaded the events so that in the search results, the first thing that you would be met with is events. Sure. And that's it was really important because we we had to think that's why people are coming to the site. So a very very small tweak. 
but it's had a massive impact. So, so something else that I picked up on as well when you were talking about uh, the Ulster Hall and the, the waterfront uh, and having sort of dual branded uh, websites, which is something you got rid of, you know, it, you mentioned that you just, you know, the business assumed that people would know which one was which and et cetera, et cetera. But part of the rebranding uh, or the rebranding of the venue where, where you, uh, you have the ICC now, the I yeah. presumably means international. And it if does. you're attracting international audiences, whether that be for conferences or for entertainments, you can't assume that they're going to know because they won't, that they won't have that local knowledge, will they? You have to make things accessible and understandable and clear to international visitors if you want to be a genuine international venue. So again, that was another big challenge for us um, because we joined when, when our team, the marketing team joined um, and we, we got mobilized. The big thing that came back um, from the, the uh, research that we got carried out was that whenever we're in market trying to pitch for conferences um, where we attend the likes of IMAX Frankfurt, <laughs> when people were seeing Belfast Waterfront, they assumed we were like a hotel or sure. a much smaller space than what we actually are. Yeah. And they didn't recognize us as an international convention center or something of that capability. So it was a very obvious thing for us at that stage to, we needed to rebrand and we needed to create a brand specifically for the conference inside of the business. Yeah. And it's had a massive impact on conferencing because it's very clear of A, our capability and B, of what we represent. And then from an entertainment perspective, it has helped as well because it has clarified we no longer have the confusion of a website that contains both entertainments and conferencing events. Absolutely. Um, and I suppose the past 18 months, um, you know, we've worked very hard to devise the brand and then ultimately launch it. And, you know, we've spent, you know, we have an always on advertising campaign that runs um, and that's, we're bringing in incredible amount of impressions a month yeah. um, against our brand terms and against um, sort of, keywords that we would be bidding on relating to conference organizers. Well, when you're, when you've, when you've sat down to piece together and, and plan a digital strategy for, for the marketing of, of the business and for the venues, um, you've already made it clear that there are you know, two distinct strands. You've got the entertainment, so you've got the conferencing side of things. Do the strategies vary wildly for those two distinct different types of, of the business there or uh, are there overlaps where some of the strategies will be similar, others will be tailored to, depending on whether or not you want to market for entertainments or, or conferences? Yeah, well, the similarity is the fact that we target high to medium intent users. So that's the, the, the market that we're going after are people who are actively showing an interest in either entertainments in Belfast or conferencing. And mm -hmm. so the conferencing could be throughout Europe. It doesn't have to be specifically Belfast, but we're wanting to put um, ICC Belfast in front of people who are interested in organizing conferences. So, so that's the similarities. Beyond that, um, the marketing approach would be very different then because conferencing is more of a slow burner. You know, it's a, the, the bidding cycle is a lot longer. Um, yeah. And then actually, even when you actually get a conference confirmed, it could be two, three, four years time. Mm -hmm. um, so how you would nurture that relationship and how you would drip feed information to the client would be very different than uh, entertainments because we have entertainment gigs that you know could sell out in one day um, for an event that's taking place in six weeks time yeah. or we, we have an entertainment event that could be a year away but 
it'll go on sale today. So our approach would be very different. Um, an example of that would be we send a weekly entertainment email newsletter. Right. But in conference, and we send a monthly uh, email newsletter because there's not the same churn of information or news. Sure. There's, in entertainment, we could have maybe four or five on sales in one week. Mm-hmm. So there, but the similarities come from what we learn on entertainments. We try to apply to conferencing. So the example I give you of site search being a very uh, relevant and you know very important thing for the entertainment business. Whenever we launched the ICC Belfast website, which we launched in October 2018, yeah, we we purposely made a decision not to include site search to begin with, because we wanted to keep people razor focused on. Um, our four key sections, so organizing an event, venue accessibility, um, our media hub, and the About Us section. So we wanted to keep people very focused on those core sections, so we removed site search, but actually seeing how it performs in entertainments, um, we now see that it's, it's a consumer demand, and mm-hmm. consumers demand it, so we've introduced site search in the past couple of weeks on the conference inside, so right. we're in a very lucky position that we can learn from both. Um, um, we do take an agile approach to our websites and that it's, we consider it a minimum viable product and it's continuous improvement. We're going to yeah. learn from our data and we're going to make in- incremental changes. So the ICC Belfast, as you see it, there'll not be a, another um, big redevelopment or redesign anytime within the next, say, three years. But we could be making incremental changes that have a significant improve, improvement on how we market or the customer experience. Do, do you think, uh, as, as, as somebody whose job it is to, to look at these digital platforms and, and you know, dare I say it, knows a, a ton more about it than, than, than I do, um, the, the comparison with social media platforms uh, is, is significant now. Going back sort of 10, 15 years ago now, so you built a website and it was a very static affair. It would have its layout, it would have its tabs, you know, home, about us, contact us, whatever it may be. You would design it, you would put it up there and then that's it, it would pretty much stay the same. And as businesses have now integrated social media platforms um, and you take Facebook as an example, you know, businesses like yours may be posting multiple times a day on, on their Facebook page, which means that that Facebook page is constantly evolving and changing. It's never the same from one day to the next. And I guess websites have pretty much had to sort of go in that direction as well. They have to be entities now that can be, as you said, sort of slowly evolved and and, and tweaked and constantly refined, um, both from an optimization point of view, but but from a usability point of view as well. You're you're 100% right. And I I think the biggest change within the past 10 or 15 years, um, so I've been working on digital for 15 years now. Um, During that time, I've done eight or nine, I think it's nine um, website redesigns three of which have came in the past uh, 18 months. But uh, the big thing that has changed in that sort of 10 or 15 years has been access to data. So mm. we're a lot more informed. Yeah. So yeah. before, you know, 10, 12 years ago, the site that you were launching was based upon, um, you know, senior management, what, you know, what they thought looked good or what they felt was uh, most relevant to the business at that time. Yeah. Um, it was very driven then by the marketing team to be, you know, aesthetically pleasing. Sure. Whereas and the data piece never really came into it or wasn't as obvious as it is now. Whereas we're in a, we're in living in a time now where there's so much data available that if we, if we ignore it, you're ignoring your customers. Um, mm-hmm. So we have our customer data, but we also have the 
analytics and it's really important that you learn from that on a continual basis and as I say what we're doing we're making incremental changes which ultimately as a business we'll avoid the need for the big bang website redesign which yeah. is very labor intensive um, very costly but it also it's it's uh, very impactful on the end user because typically when you launch a new website um, if, if it's e-commerce you will notice a dip in e-commerce revenue simply as your repeat customers get get used to the new user interface the sure. new, new layout um, social media has been responsible for an awful lot in the past um, couple of years and you know the biggest the biggest thing that the biggest challenge I see with social media is um, how to cannibalize each other um, mm. you know, so the, few years ago it was all about Twitter and the instant message and the micro blogging um, it then switches the greater focus is on Instagram we've now moved into WhatsApp where it's not essentially an, uh, a social network but it's instant messaging it's, yeah. it's quick response quick replies but what I think um, my feeling on the social media piece is I, I think you should be treating social media as an extension of your website so yeah. You shouldn't be looking upon social media as, you know, you shouldn't be looking at social media as a marketing platform as such, but rather an extension of your website. And what I mean by that is you're providing the likes of Facebook with enough metadata in terms of your company information, links, address details, and you're able to upload events, upload uh, announcements, posts about your business. You can... You, the imagery and the videos you share um, should be so our policy is we will not share something on social media unless we would be willing to publish it on our website so that yeah. sort of sets a standard in terms of the quality Absolutely, yeah. of image, imagery so essentially it is just an extension of our website and it's a route in I actually look at social media from a conferencing side of things as our brochure yeah so we, we aren't going to convert somebody on social media you know somebody's not going to look at an ICC Belfast social media post and then decide to book a conference. But what will happen is if somebody comes across um, the ICC website or the ICC uh, advertising, online advertising, their next protocol might be, might be to look at our Instagram feed or look at our Twitter feed um, and that's our brochure and just browse and see the type of content that we share, the type of events that we host. And for me, that's... Um, that's what we try to achieve on the conference and side from social. Entertainment's very different because we actually can convert on entertainments. Of course, yeah. The likelihood is people will spend more time browsing Facebook than they will browse on our website. So if we can get in there, into their feed um, with an up-to-date announcement about the latest on sale or the latest release of tickets, then you know there's a high probability they will convert. And just on that, something that we brought in on our entertainment website, we introduced a thing called social cards, which it's open graph data that we share from our website with um, our social networks. So whenever we add a link to one of our social posts, it pulls through a very nice image and a clickable area. By adding that on to our uh, social media accounts, the engagement with our links has grew by almost 100%. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry, so for, for, the, for, those, for those of you who are, who are listening to the podcast, that there were just some people walking into Charlie's office whilst he's in the middle of recording this. So we continue. Sorry, Charlie. Apologies. Um, yes, so by, by adding in 
the social cards, um, not only does it look better visually, yeah. but the engagement that we've been getting with our posts now is far, it's far higher because there's a bigger clickable area. The visual appeal is better. Um, and we're getting about 100% more clicks on our social media content. So people coming through to our website from social, which is the biggest challenge because quite often people on the social networks, they set out to keep you on their channel. Yeah. Something that I've never actually asked this question before, and I'm sure that you're probably the man to give us some insight into this. Um, email subscriptions and people who actually are willing, with all of the, obviously the introduction of GDPR, changes in data protection regulations, people just becoming a bit more protective about their email address. I'm curious to know whether or not actually uh, there's a, uh, not a spike, but an in there's a better chance of people liking and following your Facebook page than there is now of them subscribing to an email newsletter, which actually makes the, the, the argument of, of, of having accessible um, content and ticket purchasing and things like that via Facebook even stronger now where we sit, you know, at the start of 2020 uh, than, than having email subscriptions for, for newsletters. Again, it's a very interesting topic. So we purposefully on our entertainment website, we purposefully removed um, our email subscription option. Right. Um, and one of the reasons for that is when we looked at the data on our old site, we had very few people signing up to our email from our website. Yeah. Um, but we looked upon it as well as that was an alternative way for somebody to transact with our website, whereas we actually wanted people transacting by buying tickets. So right. we took away, we removed the noise of a, an email sign-up option, just to so the only sort of call to action on the page is buy tickets or get right. tickets. Okay, yeah. So the the you you're probably wondering how do people get onto our email database? If somebody emails us and specifically requests, we'll we'll add them on. Mm -hmm. But actually, our email database is fed by our customers. So right. as you buy tickets, we ask the question, do you want to sign up for our email? Um, our database exists of about 50,000 people at the minute. Um, so they are all people who have previously bought a ticket. Sure. One of the things that we've noticed um, in the past 18 months is the growth in our e uh, email marketing revenue has been incredible. So we came from, I'll, you know, withhold the, the, the figures just from um, financial sensitivities, but you know, we were talking about very low sums, like below a thousand pounds we were bringing in a month. Right. Um, to now we're bringing in, you know, the highest we've brought in in a month is over 40K. Um, right, okay. And that's because we've adjusted our approach to email marketing. And our approach to email marketing has changed in that we used to send what were, were called soulless emails. And these were emails you would send um, about a specific show, so, so about Snow Patrol or about Pantomime. Yeah. Um, to what we consider the targeted audience, uh, targeted list um, of people who have previously booked. Um, we dropped that approach because the data said it wasn't working and we introduced a weekly newsletter. Yeah. So we sent it out to our whole database and that has been the big impact for us. You know, we've went from a very small amount of revenue per month to a very healthy amount of revenue per, per month. Um, but you're right, you know, it's not as many people are giving up their email addresses and perhaps that influenced our decision to drop the, the email sign up from our website because on conference and we could see that um, our database was growing big enough anyway through the ticket sales or on sure. the entertainments it was growing big enough through ticket sales and on the conference site which we do have a very clear email sign up 
we don't get a lot of people signing up for email updates. Yeah. Um, and it's probably because they know they can get them from social media. And it's interesting, just, just going back to something that I mentioned right at the start of the episode when I asked you about how you would determine a seamless experience for, for customers. Um, I've just gone onto Facebook here whilst, whilst we're recording and just gone onto the Waterfront Hall and Ulster Hall Facebook page. 38,711 followers at the moment on that page. And you said that in terms of email, you know, uh, database about 50,000. So, you know, that, that's, that, that will, you know, pretty much catch up with the email database. Yeah. I would imagine, you know, in the next few months, you, I, I dare say, you know, you're probably getting, you know, hundreds of, of extra followers every month for that Facebook page. If somebody is on that Facebook page or sees something pop up in their Facebook feed uh, for an event at one of those, two venues they can click something but remain within the facebook platform yep. to continue that that experience if somebody gets an email i know it's still the, the, the uh, you know the, the simple act of clicking a link but it's actually going to take them out of their email platform and put them into a browser yeah um and so when we go back to this question that i asked right at the beginning about making it seamless little things like that people may not pay much attention to but actually as consumers we subconsciously notice how easy it is to just navigate you know from a link within a platform to a link that takes you to somewhere else completely um yeah. and i guess that this is this is exactly the sort of thing that you've been talking about today isn't it that, that, that you know try to make it as easy as possible which ultimately is a, is a revenue driver well it's it's the same as um on our new ticketing system that we launched in august um we were able to build in uh, facebook login Mm -hmm. So users now can log in via their Facebook details. So it's one click and they're logged in. There we it's go. Again, it's seamless because you're not having to think about your username, what email address did you use, was it your work or was it your personal, what password did I use on this occasion, um, or do I need to update the password. Just by using that Facebook login, it's just a much more seamless. And the data suggests people are a lot more accepting of that. You know, they're, they're a lot more, they realize that, Obviously, GDPR was a massive thing, and it, it perked up people's attentions um, to the data that people hold or you know contain on a certain uh, individual or user. But equally, the sort of web savvy people they realise that if this data is being used correctly, mm. it'll improve my user experience. It'll improve the offers that I get. Yeah. And speed up um, my transactions. You know, so like this one click check out on Amazon. It's incredible. Like if you'd have thought two or three years ago, would have you used that? You know, you'd have maybe said no, because I would like to check what address it's going to, what billing details they have. Whereas now, you know, certainly for myself over Christmas, you're, you're buying presents. I have used it on numerous occasions in the past month. Me, 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 me too. You know, it's something that you, you learn. you build trust in things like this, you know, when, when, um, uh, when contactless payments first came in, you know, people, yeah. I know loads of people all oh, know I'll not use contactless payments. You know, I'm very skeptical about that. Oh no, no, it's just dangerous. You know, how do they know? How, how do you know how much money's actually been taken? I like to put my card in and, and put the pin number in, you know, and now we're a stage further. People don't even get the cards out of their wallets anymore. They just tap the phone, you know, yeah. and, and they're quite trusting about it now. And, and I think it's just, it's that confidence builder over time, isn't it? Once people realize that something is secure and safe, that they, you know, once they've adopted it, they'll they'll stick with it well the phones that's a great example because it's actually even more secure 
you know, because yeah. you don't have the risk of losing your card that is um, tappable. So, like, if somebody picked up your card and wanted to tap straight away, they could. Um, if if you lost your card, whereas with your phone, um, the security's built in now. That if people try to hack into your phone, it'll it'll uh, delete all the information. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's totally secure, you know, and it's a lot more secure. And it's where we're going. Everything. I mean. Um, I've set myself a target that within the next 18 months I'll not need a wallet. Um, yeah. You know, and I've, in the past 18 months I've went from having quite a chunky wallet down to quite a slimline. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah. Takes up very little pocket space because the pocket space is being taken up by my phones now. Well, when um, you think about it, your phone is your wallet now. You know, we're yeah. we're, we're, we're evolving to the point where we're, we, you know, for years we've carried around two devices, uh, two two things. So you know, a, a wallet and a phone. Yeah. You know, and, and, and we're, we're moving towards, you know, a point now where you can leave the wallet at home completely, you know, unless you actually need cash. But, you know, more and more. And that, that's something that will, I mean, we're, we're, we're getting get, getting a bit pushed for time. But something I did want to ask you, and it's a bit of a sort of a tangent to the whole digital side of things. But as a venue, um, do you look at things like digital payments and, and whether or not, that, uh, is it something that you're involved in um, taking the venue down the sort of the cashless route? Because I know a lot of a lot of venues now are starting to look at that route for many, many different reasons. And is it, is it something that's on your radar? Well, I think, you know, we have an obligation to look at it, just given the trends and the things that are happening within the industries, um, particularly within entertainments um, and just, you know, consumer behaviours. But then equally, um, you know, we also have an obligation to our customers. So again, we can look at our, from our ticketing database, we can look at the profile of our customers and break that down and understand the, the demographics of our customers and who's, uh, how, they're, how they're interacting and engaging with us. So, you know, I would imagine it'll be a while yet before we would consider being cashless, mm-hmm. uh, but certainly, you know, um, at our point of sale in the business, you know, we have, you know, uh, it's contactless. Yeah. We are looking to integrate with Apple Pay now because that's built into our ticketing system. Um, with the new ticketing system um, and provider that we've went with, Tessitura, that capability is all built in yeah. um, and it's almost modular. So it's deciding when and, and at what point do we switch that type of thing on. But sure. it's, 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 it's absolutely, it's on our roadmap and that we have to consider it on a continual basis and see at what point does it flip and what where does the, the where does the demand change that is just expected it does have implications from us as a venue from um you know cash handling and, and things like that but you know we are considering it and that's actually it's a slight sort of um as a slight aside one of the things with our digital first approach whenever we introduced digital first in april 2018 one of the fears were that we were going to cut off um a demographic of our audience who aren't online, um, you know, the older demographic, but actually what our data has told us, our Google Analytics, our biggest growth area of users last year was 65 plus. Our right. biggest growth area of e-commerce revenue was 65 plus. Wow. Second was 55 to 65. So despite the fact, now it was still one of the smaller, um, it was, in terms of the overall revenue generator from that uh, demographic, it was still one of the smaller, um, smaller groups. Sure. But it just what it shows is that these people are online, 
Um, and if we think if we think about this, you know, sort of twenty years ago, um, colleges and uh, technical colleges they would have been running courses on uh, the internet for beginners. A- absolutely, yeah. You know, twenty years ago, the seventy-year-old was fifty. They were working in an environment that was uh, digitally enabled, sure. websites every day. So there's no such thing as people not being online now. Um, our every month our uh, our mobile traffic grows. So we're up to about seventy percent of our traffic comes from mobile. Yeah, that growth isn't coming from the likes of me and you, James. You know, because we've had our mobiles probably for the past twenty years. Mm. That's coming from the likes of my parents who. Yes, they've had mobiles for 10 or 15 years, but now they've got smartphones because, yeah. you know, they've finally upgraded to a piece of kit that allows them to browse online and the phone and the web experiences are now such that everybody has a mobile site. Everybody yeah. has a very usable mobile site. So th- this argument or this sort of belief that um, people aren't online or people, uh, the older demographic aren't online, it doesn't cut it anymore. Yeah, uh, when, when, absolutely. And when you think about it, you know, in another 10 years time, you know, will be, you know, what, 30 years into the digital age of, of websites and e-commerce and things like that, yep. you know, so in another 10 years time, you would have to say that probably 95%, maybe more of, of you know, of, of people who are alive in this country will have worked, not just used, but will have worked yeah. with digital technology and digital platforms at some point. Um, you know, pe- people who are, you know, have been retired now for 20 years, like you said, were at some point, you know, even at the end of their careers when they retired, probably had started to come across websites, email, things like that. So, you know, we are we are close to a society that has universally experienced and accepted, you know, digital communication technology. No, 100%. And like, as I say, we're finding it with the numbers. Um the numbers are telling us the older demographic are consuming or are, are hitting our met we are hitting them with our messaging you know we're targeting our, our advertising and then they're transacting on our site so whenever we were building our site one of the things that we considered was the simplicity of it so we didn't try to go for any um you know fancy design that you know would really from a brand perspective might look really fancy or look something really impressive hmm. we look for something very simplistic um, and as I say, from the entertainment side of the business, we talk very much about how we facilitate the acts, we facilitate the experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't have to be, our brand um, doesn't have to be front and center of everything because the brand, the, the bands and the artists that we attract endorse our brand. Sure. And, and that's how we get that brand recognition. But So we've went for a very simplistic approach online to make it accessible for an 18-year-old through to a 65-year-old, 70-year-old, you know, there's no limits on it. Sure. And I, I, always, I always think a good website is like a good PowerPoint presentation, you know, just, just because you can put tons of different transitions and hundreds of different animation elements into a PowerPoint presentation doesn't mean that you should. Does, doesn't well, mean that you have to have it in there. Just because you can do fancy things with websites doesn't mean that you should absolutely have to have them in there for the sake of having them in there you know if they enhance what you're trying to present great if they don't enhance what you're trying to present and, and communicate then take it out get rid of it you know they could be fancy for fancy's sake sometimes and ultimately they've got to serve the purpose that they're intended for yeah 100 percent, and that's that's ultimately what it comes down to you know you're looking uh 
second guess everything that you go to do on a site and you look at your data, you look for feedback, you look for best practice. We, we are lucky, you know, our, um, for both conference and entertainments, our approach is to benchmark best. So we benchmark the Amazons, we benchmark, you know, the big uh, e-commerce players. Mm-hmm. We say, what are these guys doing and how yeah. can we transfer that back to ourselves? Um, and so far it's worked very well. Like, you know, from a conferencing perspective, the, the amount of engagement we get with our advertising, our social, our social channels, and the traffic we're getting to our site, um, it just wasn't happening 18 months ago. And, you know, we're seeing the impact of that and more and more um, RFPs, more and more, more, more inquiries are coming through via our website. And one of the things that we've extended into is we've started to support conference organizers. So people who book business with us, um, we've started to support them with bespoke digital marketing campaigns to help drive their delegate numbers. Yeah. Um, so we recently done a campaign with uh, Bapen, who held a conference with us at the end of uh, November. Um, and we ran a campaign for six months to help drive delegate numbers. Right. Um, and they have seen a significant increase um, in delegate numbers. They've seen a, a significant increase in engagement with their content, um, you know, their registration page, sure. their social channels. Um, and that shows you the capability of our venue. So we have a venue that's an international convention center, but we also have a team behind that that reflects the stature and the size of our venue. Mm. Um, and we have that expertise. So the expertise that we're learning from entertainments, we're now starting to share with um, our clients and conferencing. Excellent. We've been joined on the podcast today by Charlie McCluskey. Charlie is the head of digital at ICC Belfast. And we've been speaking about some of the ways that the venue has, uh, I suppose, analysed and rethought its strategy towards marketing as particularly to its digital marketing um charlie before we uh we, we uh, finish up today's episode um if people want to find out a bit more about some of the things that you've been talking about today get in touch with you guys uh, maybe we could have the uh, the website addresses for the three new websites that that you've um uh, overseen uh and that we've spoken yep. about today's episode um give, give us some of the key addresses that people can can visit if they want to find out more about what you're doing Okay, so on conferencing, it is iccbelfast.com. Um, and then our entertainments, we have two brands. We have waterfront.co.uk and ulsterhall.co.uk. Um, and if you have any sort of inquiries, you would like to find out more information, uh, our email address is iccinfo at iccbelfast.com. Fantastic. And um, as I uh, alluded to during today's podcast, I, w- I went on to, to Facebook and just did a quick search for both ICC Belfast and for Waterfront Hall and, and Ulster Hall and you'll find uh, social media pages. And I'm sure if you do the same on uh, Instagram and Twitter and, uh, and whatever social media platforms you're using, you'll be able to find out a bit more about some of these venues. Um, if you're watching a video of today's podcast, uh, via eventindustrynews.com. Don't forget to go to your favorite podcast downloader and uh, you can listen to audio only versions of all of our previous episodes of the podcast. Of course, the flip side to that is if you are just listening to the audio version of today's podcast, you can go over to eventindustrynews.com and watch all of the video versions of our previous episodes. And whilst you're on there, you can check out some of the latest news features and happenings on eventindustrynews.com, um, which brings us to the end of today's episode. Our thanks once again to charlie mccluskey head of digital at icc belfast been great talking to you today charlie and uh we'll see you again on the next episode of the event industry news podcast my name's james dixon goodbye